Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Daily Objective. Today, you got your all-star cast. I shouldn't say all-stars, but a couple of stars. We got some of your favorites, classics, I'll say, the classic hosts. Uh, it's kind of the uh, it's kind of the uh, the the perfect combination of uh, sort of unprepared entertainer meets highly prepared academic with the energy of a Spartan, a man who uh, legend has it his name pronounced Nikos Otirakapoulos, and we're here to talk about the social media political complex, if there is one or if there will be one. How you doing, Nikos? I'm doing very well, and since your compliment, I'm doing even better. So I'm in a weird situation. So the last days, I've spent most of my time on Twitter attacking conservatives about their attack on free speech, which came as a reaction to the story that we will discuss today. So let me start by saying that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be very, very critical of social media, and I will make the claim that there's time some of us objectivists start re-examining how we view them as moral or immoral overall players. But this has nothing to do with the fact that we defend their right to free speech and we defend them against conservatives who wouldn't know free speech if it hit them in the head. People like the Trump conservatives, including people in uh, like Trump Jr. or Prager, or more and more people come out of the shadows these days who supposedly were defenders of free speech. So they entered the culture wars as defenders of free speech to request that social media are regulated because of the discussion we're going to start today. We're going to discuss today. So start. we're starting with, I'm starting with the argument that whatever I say, please don't put me in the category of these people who, because social media are doing horrible things, we want them regulated or we consider them now a publisher and not a platform for this discussion that doesn't even make sense. So anyway, that's, that's the context setting for me. So shall we go into the essence of the story? Let's. Okay, so here's what you probably, most people probably know what happened. So last week, uh, some information about the son of Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, became available. Some what we call potentially compromising information. So the information was that the son of Biden, when Biden was vice president, he arranged a meeting with some influential person in Ukraine because he was on the board of a big company. And there are many questions. Is he even, uh, is there any reason why he was in that board except that he was the son of the vice president? Anyway, who can tell? But this was a potentially big story. This was a story that would put the Biden campaign on the spot and basically tell them, look, most of the stuff that you have been accusing Trump of, you know, cronism, using your business to, could actually apply to you. So what was the reaction of Twitter and also of Facebook? They made the story disappear. And how did they make the story disappear? So if you would go to link on the story, the story, by the way, appeared in a newspaper, in the New York Post. Now, if you would go to post the story, 
you would be threatened with your accounts being taken down. And there were a couple of influence of big accounts, <clears throat> either journalists or someone even from the White House, that they had their accounts, I assume, uh, not permanently, but for a time being taken down. And then Twitter said something like, well, we did this. Yeah, we recognize that this doesn't look very good, but we did it because we have a policy about hacked material. By the way, this was not hacked material. This was the son of Biden because he has some issues. And, you know, I don't want to enter into that discussion. You know, hopefully he, he's doing better. But basically what happened is he brought his laptop to for repair and then he forgot it there. And that's how the laptop, by going hand to hand, the guy who had the laptop shop kept a copy. He gave it, I think, to Giuliani. Giuliani gave it to the newspaper. So this is not hacking. And also, if this, if Twitter does not report cases that don't have the, let's say, the approval of the person who is involved, then we wouldn't have seen the Trump tape with the grab them story in 2016, which I think we should have seen because it tells something about the character of the man. So there's so many stories that we see and that they don't even reach that threshold. They go way beyond the threshold that either it is directly hacked material or then they said they imply that we don't want material which has to do with the Russians. Well, we spent years and years uh, with the Russia gate and these rules didn't apply. So to make it short, Twitter made up some rules or stretched other rules to suppress this story. And Facebook did the same. And of course, the Republicans are up in arms and they say this is the most in-your-face intervention in an election that we remember. And this is officially of Twitter taking off the mask and saying we are the social media uh, uh, rank of the Democratic Party. So that's the story. What do you make of it? I mean, uh, first of all, when I saw the topic of the show in, uh, in my usual, uh, you know, 10 minutes before we go live uh, fashion, I found out I thought we were taught we were looking into the future once uh, Republicans get their way. And of course, Democrats have no problem with this uh, once the government and the and the Twitter type websites merge. Once the, uh, they're regulated, a.k.a. become basically blended with the government. Now we've got a government that is collecting our data. Now we've got a government that is making these community guidelines decision about what we can say, because it, now what you post on Twitter, in, meaning once this takes effect, what you post on Twitter could be treated legally as though you went out into the street and exposed your, you know, either exposed some type of language or certain uh, level of nudity that maybe the Greeks are, you know, consider a wholesome tradition of, of the Olympic sort, but in America, we don't appreciate. So that's what I thought you were getting at, or that's what I thought the topic was getting at. But no, we're talking about Twitter uh, hiding a link or hiding something that they consider to be fraudulent or misleading. They do this most often when it comes to COVID, you know, quote, info. Like if someone posts a link by a doctor set like downplaying the severity of COVID or something like that, then, then Twitter or YouTube will remove it and say, this is endangering people or something like that. Now, in this case, it has to do with, with the upcoming election with Joe Biden and his son. So I can understand it's, 
it's it's being seen as a partisan issue, and it probably is. But this is just this whole thing is just such a recipe for disaster. Having uh, a a a culture with an unclear understanding of of property or just a lack of respect, lack of reverence for property rights. You know what I'm saying? Like, like uh, we're all we all basically claim to be on the same page about free speech. But then when it comes to property, it's like unclear where that how that relates to free speech. And it's unclear kind of what public property is. Now, of course, I would like to see a world where there's no such thing as public property, all private all pro- property is privately owned. And then it absolutely is up to every website or every uh, homeowner or every company owner, what speech they permit on their property. And it's basically uh, easy to understand and to follow. Um, but when we have a culture where we don't quite see the, um, the role of a website like Twitter, At first, the internet was supposed to be like the Wild West, right? Anyone could say anything and like Twitter sort of reflected that. It was rare to see Twitter um, do delete anything back, you know, 10 years ago. Although I'm proud to say I was one of the pioneers in that Wild West who found a way to get deleted and uh, removed. But um, but most I mean, most news organizations, they got to say whatever they wanted to on YouTube and on Twitter and uh, one could say they spread a lot of misinformation, but, you know, that, that was not really seen as the job of Twitter or YouTube or Facebook to step in. Um, they're in a tough position. I know that's like blasphemy to say when it, it, it looks like Twitter is just a wing of the Democrat Party. So how dare I say anything kind about them or anything sympathetic? But generally speaking, they are in a tough position, especially when it comes to COVID, you know? Like lives are at stake and this is a sensitive issue with a disease, a virus, and we need to figure out kind of what's true and what's not. And anytime Twitter uh, decides like, okay, this is spreading misinformation about this deadly virus, you'll have uh, a bunch of people applauding that and a bunch of people saying that this is, you know, suppression of opinion and, and of potentially valuable information and that they're a branch of the government now, the way that they're behaving. And now, of course, now of course, with, with the Hunter Biden thing, it is much more easy to see that as a partisan um, move. But my question at the end of this whole uh, rant, this whole tangent is, so like, what do we do with this? Like, what's next? What should Twitter do? Um, I, guess, I guess arguably they should just keep their hands off of something like a link to the New York Post. Uh, I know Jack, Twitter Jack apologized and uh and yeah what do you make of that so uh, okay first of all let's make something clear this is not twitter trying to save lives from covid how do we know that social media did the same some years ago on the so-called fake news and again fake news is directed on one side for example uh, the idea that the rich rich the, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer is not, which is literally fake news, is not considered fake news. But uh, claims from the populist right were considered fake news. Or articles that are qu- questioning immigration were falling on that category. So we see a pattern here. That's one thing. The second thing is, here we don't even have Twitter trying to do peer review, which is already funny enough. So I don't know why Twitter should decide whether which story is good or which story is but because then it needs to do it for its hundreds of millions of users. So in this case, 
we don't have Twitter saying we sense that something was wrong there. Even Biden's campaign, the, the, the explanation they gave was, well, we look in the calendar, we're not sure. If, so they didn't basically say this is fabricated by Russian hackers, right? So Twitter comes up with a non-excuse. So basically they said, take this down and we're going to think later why. You know, you people don't watch soccer. Quite often, you know how you spot a referee who is a, who is a bot or who is impartial. A team scores a goal and, and he raises his hands that it's not a goal. And then he figures out, oh, maybe it was an offensive foul or maybe someone was offside. So if you really look hard, you can find something. So this is what Twitter did in this, uh, in this, uh, in this case. So, but here's my biggest worry. I think it's even worse than this being a political conspiracy. This is not, unfortunately, a political conspiracy. This is the new normal. What do I mean? Who are the people who work on Twitter? And who are the people who have been on Twitter in the last years? Graduates of big universities. What are they taught in these universities? They taught that there is no such thing as impartiality. There is no such thing as objective truth. And they're taught that the right is uh, probably racist, fascist. I had students telling me, not telling me, telling in class, writing in essays, that the night that Trump won was the worst night of their life. And I'm talking about British students. So when you, when you make this idea of the world, then it makes perfectly sense to say, look, we are weeks away from an election. If this comes out, then the fascist, racist, white supremacist who is going to put people in concentration camps might win. Therefore, we must do something. So I don't think that Twitter, they see themselves as we hide in that room with the people from Facebook and we, and we figure something out because we have a particular strategy. Unfortunately, this is the new normal. This is how most people view the world. And my question is this, at what point do we say, do we stop saying, oh, these are giants of production and they make our life so much better, which they do. So what is the line after which we say, you know what, your overall balance between being good and bad starts going towards the bad side. Because if you want to create a society, to facilitate a society of groupthink and of groupthink based on this uh, automaton thinking that, yeah, orange man, bad. At what point is Zuckerberg and these people not anymore the productive geniuses that most of our friends believe they are, I mean, our objective friends. And at what point do we ask are you people the bad guys now? I mean, I don't, the Twitter, I mean, the I don't social think, media giants. I don't know if that's ever going to be appropriate because the essence of what they provide us is uh, technology and with a model of kind of how social media can work. And but yeah, I mean, they invented the they developed these websites. And like I said, they're in a tough position, you know, when uh, think about the Joe Rogan, Tim Pool uh episode with twitter jack and his pub his pr uh spokeswoman and she was answering all of tim pool's uh points by saying like look i mean you're telling us to censor less we have people on the left telling us to censor more and they're telling us that we're a platform for white supremacists to run to run wild so 
they are in a tough position. Now, you, to your point that, yeah, most of these, most of the people at these companies probably went to college and were educated with critical race theory and all these uh, either postmodern or leftist things. I mean, that's, I think that's fair to presume, but also let's not become too rationalistic or let's not be rationalistic at all about this. We don't actually know who's in there. We know that Joe Rogan, your, your favorite podcaster, who is sort of seen as like the kind of partially the pushback against the political correct establishment. He's the most popular podcaster on earth. Uh, his, his show is very popular with Silicon Valley workers. I mean, so it's not like, um, anyone who graduated from school is just automatically a, uh, a shill, a, a drone, uh, working on behalf of critical race theory. I mean, people are complicated. Most people live with mixed premises and most people who are making decisions are not, they're not necessarily just acting on behalf of the philosophy that they were taught explicitly in class. Oftentimes they need to sort of tame that with the sort of reality around them. So, I mean, let, let, let's be careful is all I'm saying. We can't just assume that everyone making decisions inside of Twitter is acting on behalf of John Rawls. A lot of them, they are making very pragmatic decisions. Like, like the PR lady at Twitter said, on one hand, they've got right, you know, centrist slash right-wingers, whoever, non-leftists saying, let us have free speech. And on the other hand, they've got a lot of people saying, stop, you know, kick the Nazis off. And of course, their definition of Nazi is ever expanding. So um, I guess let's just be careful with that. That's, that's kind of the one uh, thing I would want to, I would want to push back a little bit on when you say that the people at Twitter are, um, are egalitarian. It's fair to, I think, deduce a little bit that that's probably like most of the culture. There's a lot so, of that happening, but, but let's be careful is all I'm saying. Let's me, let me push back on your pushback. Yeah. Two, three summers ago, we had an internal revolt in Google because that poor guy wrote an email that suggested maybe, maybe the reason why there is no gender balance is not what you people think, but here are my data. And we had an internal revolt where the CEO had to, has to fly back from his vacation because there's one guy, one guy in Google that thinks differently. Then some months ago, we had an internal revolt in New York Times because they dared to include an article by someone who said that then when there's a riot out of control, the army has a role to play. Then we had an internal revolt in Facebook because Zuckerberg did not fact check or something one of Trump's posts. And now we have an internal revolt in Spotify because they want some of Joe Rogan's episode being taken down. Now, although people think we are all a cult and we agree on everything, I think it's okay to disagree, but I, I think there's a clear line there that shows that because ideas play a big role, how did Ron call it? The chickens come home to roost. This is exactly what we've asked for as a society. Uh, or to use another of my favorite run terms, brothers, you've asked for it, and what you've asked for it is coming. It's kind of is here. It's going to get much worse. That's what I see. That's why I'm saying this is not the conspiracy. This is the new normal. There's more to see here. Just wait and see what's, what's going to come in the next years. 
Yeah, I agree with everything you said, but that's not the full picture at the same time, you know, and there's no question that corporate culture sucks. It's absolutely run by egalitarians. And I know that firsthand. And you might also know that firsthand. So we know that firsthand by our own observation. So we don't just sit here and go, well, this is what they're teaching in schools. And we know that graduates work at these companies. So we can just assume that those ideas are at play. No, I know from either working at companies or knowing people who work at companies or now, but now when it comes to these scandals, like, uh, is it James Damore, the Google guy? Yeah. I still think we should be careful by saying that that incident speaks for the entire, um, the, that, that, that tells the story that, that that's tells the full story, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. First of all, I don't know if it was his job to give his opinion on, women versus men and biology and all of that. I'm not even sure that everything he said in that paper was accurate, but that's not the point. I don't, I don't know that it was even his job to be talking about that. And yes, once there's a scandal, the egalitarians are, have the moral high ground and it's very difficult to kind of put that, uh, to, to, to close back up that can of worms. But that doesn't mean that anytime somebody gives an, unpo- gives an unacceptable opinion and, and you know, that anytime somebody gives a, a forbidden opinion, it becomes a scandal of that level. Um, I just think we need we need to be careful. Um, and sorry, was it the job of and, these people working in the printing press mm-hmm. to say that we don't want to print J.K. Rowling's book because we judge her to be transphobic? So it, it happens in every big corporation. People who is not called their job take one position. And out of the thousands, literally thousands, okay, maybe not, but definitely hundreds of examples, there's one example that one guy kind of says, you know, maybe, and we have, again, the CEO of the company cutting his holiday short, again. the busiest man in the world, to say, oh, my God, what happened here? Yeah, we have a conservative I, or someone point, who deviates the line. I'm saying when there's a scandal, yeah, absolutely. The egalitarians have the moral high ground and it's very difficult to counter them because most people don't have the philosophical uh, counter opinion to what they're saying. But not every time somebody gives an unpopular, an unacceptable opinion, does it become a scandal? Oftentimes, you know, it's, it's quite possible that 990 time, 999 times out of a thousand people are you know, expressing their opinion the way that James Damore did. And it doesn't blow up the way that it did. That's what I'm saying. But, but all of that. So whether it's a printing press uh, canceling JK Rowling or, or the, the uh, purple haired um, employees at Spotify raising hell about Joe Rogan, that is not necessarily the same type of person who is making decisions internally about deleting tweets and stuff like that. So we can notice a trend and say, yeah, the left-leaning opinion is winning out at Twitter. But that is not the same as saying that, you know, the, the hard, hardline egalitarian SJWs are completely running the show at Twitter because there are a lot of people getting away with a lot of, un, you know, unacceptable opinions on, the, on these platforms. So that's kind of, um, I'm just cautioning for prudence. You know, I used to be, I used to be what objective is called a firebrand. I used to say heads will roll. I used to say there needs to be blood in the streets for objectivism to win. But that was the old me. Today, today, I travel the country. I speak at rehabilitation centers for young troubled objectivist students. I walk <laughs> in there with my leather jacket, my my prison tattoos, 
my wrinkled face and my slick back hair. And I tell them my story. And I tell these kids, they don't need to go the same route that I went. <laughs> that sounded a bit like something between Bukowski. Son Penn comes to mind that he also played Bukowski. Anyway, I would love that look. You, you'd look really cool with a head back and with a leather jacket. But then again, the question is, who doesn't look good in leather jackets? So let's make leather jackets great again. Let's not jump to huge conclusions, apparently, although I think we can, we can connect the dots, but that's And also, topic. like, what, what difference does it make, not to sound like your favorite um, popularly elected Madam President as a bleftivist like myself call her? I'm joking, of course. Um, what difference, is, like, what do we do with this information? Let's say Twitter is 100% run by feminists, or let's say it's highly exaggerated. Like, what do we do with that information? Yeah, all we, that's, all we that's, can do at the end of the day is advocate for deregulation, especially in finance, see more money pour into Silicon Valley, uh, encourage people to create more companies, uh, patronize companies that have more of a free speech leaning and continue to speak out. I mean, what and speak out for the right philosophy. So uh, at the yeah, end of the day, why, what, what do we, yeah, that's why I started the show by saying that, yeah, don't take anything of what we say and put us in the same category with these people who are betraying free speech. And I would say that today, probably the biggest threat to free speech at this moment that we speak comes from conservatives. But that's for another show. We've run out of time. Good to see you. I think it's our first one-on-one -on -one after probably a week or so, but we're gonna Too be long. back Too soon. Long. Thanks to our viewers if you liked. Share this. We're close to 1,000 subscribers. Imagine what can happen then. You can ask questions that we can answer on the show. It's what bigger accounts call super chats. We can do way more stuff. So let's make sure that we make it happen from Raka and myself. And also, yes. wait, one second. Yesterday, I asked for, uh, I suggested people make donations to ARC. Actually, we don't take donations, but you can become a member. So consider becoming a member and the money you spend will go towards spreading the ideas that you claim to agree with, but you know, money talks and you know what walks. And we're gonna buy an even cooler leather jacket, although I haven't shown up on a leather jacket yet. When we reach 1000 followers, I'm showing up on my super cool leather jacket. Mm -hmm. Thanks everyone and see you soon.